Everyday moments are small, simple, and ordinary. We can often grow frustrated with them, yet these are the moments that create our lives. Following Jesus is the same. What if following Jesus was more about the ordinary moments rather than the extraordinary? What if being with Jesus was more important than doing for Jesus? What if my spiritual life was dependent on everyday, ordinary rhythms of being with Jesus? An everyday disciple being with Jesus to be Jesus to others. Okay, here's the question. Okay, this is self-reflective. How many notifications do you get on any given day? Right? How many notifications do you get on any given day from, from messages to phone calls to apps, social media, emails, right? Do you know if you're an iPhone user, I imagine any other smartphone would have this, you can go to the settings and you can find notifications or you can find kind of where it tracks your use and you can find out exactly how many notifications you received in a day. Uh, in some ways it's crazy, in some ways it's ridiculous, in some ways you're like, that's revealing a lot, right? And what goes on in Side of my life. Here, here's an argument I will make about notifications. Notifications aren't necessarily information or informational as much as they are relational. Notifications aren't necessarily as informational as they are relational. Here's an example. Me and my wife, we have kind of this working rhythm during the week. When I'm at work and I'm in meetings and she needs to get a hold of me, we have this rhythm, this understanding of when I need to pick up the phone and it's an emergency and when it's not. So if I'm in a meeting and my phone starts to ring and I look at it and it's my wife and it's an important meeting that I'm in, I won't answer it. And she'll know by me not answering it that I'm in a meeting and that I can't talk right now. But if she calls back a second time, then it cues me to know that it's an emergency and that she needs me right away. And so I'll pick it up and answer it. And that's kind of our language through notifications, right? But there comes times where I maybe have walked away from my phone or maybe I'm in a meeting and I don't hear my phone. And there have been situations where I look at my phone real quick and Jess has called me four or five times, which means probably the fire department and police department and the FBI are at our house figuring something out. And so I'm like, wait, I have to call my wife back. And I'll call my wife back and a ring and a ring and a ring. And sometimes she doesn't answer. And I'm like, right? And I'll call her back and I'm like, ring, ring, ring. And she'll pick up and she's like, hello. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, what? I'm like, you called me 5,000 times. And she's like, oh, Ava actually called you. It wasn't me. <laughs> I'm like, now listen, y'all. This has not happened just once. This happens all the time. My daughter knows where she can get a hold of my contact to call me. And she will just do this. And so literally every time I pick up and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yes. Everything's fine. It was just Ava. I'm like, Ava needs to stop playing with the phone because dad has lost 10 years of his life, right? It's ridiculous. Here's the reality, right? In that situation, it's very apparent that notifications are relational, right? That the way I respond to that notification, the way that I engage that notification is not just, oh, Jess called me and I missed it. Right? That maybe is 5% of it. The rest of it is, why did she call me? Why does she need me? What's going on on the other side? What's happening, right? Four or five times, it's like something major must be happening. And inside of our life, I think we interact with that in so many different ways. Notifications continue to remind me, whether it's messaging, calling, liking, sending, they all imply relational things, and here's the reality. I believe that in our everyday walk with Jesus, our everyday discipleship to Jesus, there are notifications per se. Notifications that Jesus wants us to tap into because here's what I think Jesus wants us to see when it comes to prayer. That prayer is not merely just informational, it's relational. And when I cue into the notifications that Jesus gives me throughout the day. It cues me to be relational and be with him, not just share information with him. We have a passage that we're going to look at today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. 
Paul writes this to a church in Thessalonica, northern Greece. We'll get to that in a minute, but he says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, who belong to Christ Jesus. Here's the reality. An everyday disciple is in constant conversation and encounter with Jesus. We're in a series called Everyday Disciple. What does it mean to be with Jesus in the everyday? And the heart behind this series is literally, as the title says, what does it look like to be with Jesus every day? Because I believe that simple statement brings up a lot of thoughts, feelings, fears, intimidation, or maybe a lot of questions inside of us. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago when I say be with Jesus, right? It maybe feels like you're holding slime that keeps kind of falling through the crevices of your fingers and you're trying to catch it, but you can't catch it and it hits the ground and you pick it up and you try it over again. We may be able to explain what it means to say yes to Jesus, but to be with Jesus, to allow him to form every part of my life feels like I'm trying to catch slime that is impossible to catch or hold on to. And in this series, our aim and our goal is not just to tell you a bunch of things to do, but what does it look like to be with Jesus and allow him to form your life to look more like his? Yes. To do more of what he does? Yes. And to go be like Jesus to others. And I believe as a community, if we can come around that, if we can pursue that in some different ways, It'll engage not just our hands and our feet and going and doing good things, but it'll engage our heart differently. And that the love that Jesus has shown us will just spew from our life in some really neat and profound ways. Today, we're just going to look at this simple, this simple statement. An everyday disciple never stops praying. An everyday disciple never stops praying. Now, I say that... Okay? I say that, and for some of us, we stop for a second, and we're like a little stressed out, right? I say that, and like all of a sudden, you need like the, the paper bag, and you're like, how are we going to do this, right? Some of you, you're like, I've tried praying, and I get distracted, and we get these, you're like, praying for a minute is long enough. What do you mean, never stop praying? And we get these images in our minds, we have these images in our mind of what maybe it looks like. Maybe it looks like this, where we have monks, right? And you're kind of in a monastery, and you're like, is that what Joel's talking about? Where, like, all I do is pray all day, every day, right? For some of us, it's that. For others of us, we get this idea of, it's like a room, a prayer room. We're like, what room in my house am I going to spend 24-7 in, right? And prayer rooms are awesome, but you're like, I don't know if I have time, ability, space. I'm not sure. What, what do you mean? I have kids. I have work. I have life, right? And every day disciple never stops praying. Well, I have to do stuff, Joel, and I understand that. And I think maybe Paul understands that too. So what are we talking about when we talk about an everyday disciple never stops praying? How do I never stop praying? And let me just empathize for a little bit. Yeah, practically you're like, uh, I got stuff to do, right? But even spiritually, let's just go there for a second. I say that and you feel the weight of it maybe. In particular, if you're a follower of Christ and you have been on this journey spiritually, and we've talked about prayer numerous times inside of this setting, inside of life groups maybe. Maybe it's something that you've put goals towards or it's an activity you're pursuing. I mean, when I say an everyday disciple never stops praying, a couple things maybe comes to your mind. You're like, prayer is boring. I'm just sitting there trying to be quiet, trying to do the right thing, and it just bores me. For some of you, it's mundane it's like it's the spiritual activity you kind of have to do, but you're not really sure how to do it or where to do it at or how to engage it, right? For others of you, it is exhausting. It is for me, can I be honest with you, that's where maybe I lands. I've maybe traversed boring and mundane, but it's exhausting because you start praying and then you're like, there's a thousand things I could be praying for right now. And you're like, how do I do this all? Where do I start? Where do I finish? Where's the in-between? For others of us, for others of us, we get kind of in the funnel of distraction 
and that gets frustrating, or maybe you're not sure how to interact with that. You know, I just get distracted all the time with the things on my email or the things I got to do at work or kids coming down from their bedrooms and trying to figure out what's for breakfast and how do we get going, right? And I think actually, if we were to be honest, prayer can feel very burdensome. And that's why I love this passage. Because I think Paul is actually giving us some sort of encouragement in the midst of this. That what if pray, never stop praying, wasn't as much of a burden as it is a delight? What if it is Paul giving us some handlebars on how to interact with prayer and what our day can look like around being with Jesus? And what if it looked like receiving and sending notifications, not just spending hours and hours and hours trying to figure it out in a quiet room with nothing around me, which those spaces are good but they're not practical all the time. What would it look like to jump into that? What does Paul mean? Okay, what does Paul mean? We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 for a little bit. Then we're going to jump to Psalm 34 to kind of practically kind of walk through this. Okay, because I think there's some practicality to what does it mean to never stop praying? What does it mean to be with Jesus in that? What does it mean to sit there and to listen? What does it mean to share with Jesus? What does it mean to engage his heart. What's interesting about this letter is Paul, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. It's a church in northern Greece. And if you read the letter, you read through 1 Thessalonians in particular, you'll see that Paul has a deep affection towards this church. The way that he talks about this church, and a lot of his kind of paragraphs and his, his wording and his verses are structured around, I have a deep affection towards you. I love you. I've heard about your faith. I'm encouraged by you. I appreciate you. So he's not just talking to a church he doesn't really know. He is deeply connected to this church and wants them to know that. And he's also deeply connected past affection. He has some similar experiences to what they're going through. Paul, if you read any sort of his letters, you'll notice that he usually is going through some form of suffering or challenges. And the church in Thessalonica is going through the same, primarily for their love for Jesus. And inside of their love for Jesus, they are facing persecution and suffering and backlash and pushback to what they believe and how they are living. And as Paul, as Paul is writing, I think he is writing not only to share with them a deep, deep affection, but he's sharing with them to give them maybe a simple yet profound encouragement. He's a simple yet profound encouragement inside of this. Inside of those three verses we looked at, he talks about being joyful in all circumstances and giving thanks to God, which we don't have a ton of time to talk about this morning. We've talked about it before, but I think he wants them to align their life to who God is, what he's done for them, and who they are out of that, not the circumstances around them. That a joy and a thankfulness can exist outside of circumstances and comfort going well for me. And he's encouraging them in that, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is enough. And thankfulness rising up in you creates a joyfulness, creates a gratitude. It allows you to see over what you are experiencing. But he also says never stop praying, which maybe is the assumed verse inside of those things. They probably were like, of course, Paul, right? That's the thing that you should write. Never stop praying. But here's the reality. When life is going not so great, even when life is going great, let's be honest, there are moments where instead of kind of hovering above what's going on, we're too much in the thick of it. And we forget to engage the heart of the one who is with us in it. And so when Paul is saying, never stop praying, I think he's literally encouraging them that way. And it's profound because, to use our language a little bit, I think Paul is encouraging them. He's encouraging them to never stop looking for notifications from God and responding as such. That I just wonder if Paul lived in the 21st century with a smartphone, right? How dangerous would that be? He just would be able to go off on social media and do whatever, right? But I think he would say, look at it as if you were getting notifications from God. Well, how? 
Well, in wherever your day is at and whoever you're with and whatever the day brings you, that there are moments because we believe God exists in it all and has stepped into our world in it all and that there's nothing that's by coincidence but that God's presence is present with us and if we are going to recognize that, we are able to respond to him as such. We're gonna look at what does that mean to respond as such here in a minute because this is what I believe about prayer. Prayer is a gift. It is a gift that is both relational and formational. It is a gift that is both relational and formational. I believe prayer is not you pray and information bypass, right? Where you read the Bible, God gives you information, and then you pray and you give back information. That prayer is more relational and formational than we give it credit. Well, how? Prayer is relational Because Jesus, first and foremost, made his way towards us so that we could have a relationship with God. I've heard it argued in a prayer book that prayer is one of the first gifts of salvation that we receive. That we're able to relationally interact with the God of the universe as Father, as Savior, as King, as Lord. It is relational status. And so when you look at prayer as relational... It's not just information we bypass, but literally it was bought at a price. What price? The price of Jesus' life, ultimately on the cross, in place of ours, and then rising again so that we could have a relationship with the God of the universe. And prayer coming out of that, it calls for us to yearn for that relationship, to dive into that relationship, to interact with that relationship in some profound ways. I believe that ultimately it's relational because in saying yes to Jesus, we ultimately enter into a relationship where we recognize our deepest need and trying to fill our deepest need by our own means is what some would call sin. Filling our deepest need with our own means leads to sinfulness. And when I recognize the relationship that I have with God through Jesus, it begs for me to recognize my deepest need can only be met by him, and I need to run to him in the midst of that. Prayer is relational. That's why I love the Psalms. The Psalms rarely just communicates information. You just read it, and you just like kind of like get stiff a little bit. You're like, that is so relational. Like you're like, I don't... I do that. Maybe I'm the only one here. I read it and I get a little bit frightened. I'm like, can I be that relational to God? And what David and Solomon and others, Asaph and all of them are doing is they're presenting to us the relational side of prayer that really draws out of what? A relationship with Jesus. We can start to interact with the God of the universe as son and daughter through that, but also it's formational. Like I just said, it's formational primarily because it recognizes my deep need for God and him being the only one who can fill that. Right? As I pray, what I am doing is I'm slowing myself down, I'm being still, I'm listening, and then I am responding to the God of the universe. And doing that long enough will form you around who he is, what he's done for you, his heart, his character, his love for you, his call on your life and how to live out of that, not live out of what the world is telling you, what lies are telling you, what deception is telling you, what others are telling you. It will form you. There's a guy by the name of Henry Nouwen. He says this, prayer does not mean much when we undertake it only as an attempt to influence God or as a search for a spiritual fallout shelter or as an offering of comfort in stress-filled times. Now listen, it can be those things, right? We can cry out to God. There's moments where we're stressed, we're anxious, and we're just trying to fill the void, right? This is what he would argue. Prayer is the act by which we divest ourselves of all false belongings, all false beliefs, all false idols, all false assumptions, and become free to belong to God and God alone. What is he saying there? What he's saying is in the activity or practice or rhythm of prayer. It forces me to go into places that I don't want to go all the time or I'm not comfortable going because the relationship begs so. You realize, go back to the relationship for a second. The deeper a relationship is, the deeper that things will be revealed, right? The longer you're married, the more you find out about each other. Right? And the deeper the things need to be brought to the surface. The same with God. 
One of my biggest, one of my biggest things in my relationship with God, my spiritual journey that I struggle with, is that the closer I get, the more it gets revealed, and the more uncomfortable I get to interact with God. Because I'm not worthy now, I'm, I'm unclean, or I, I have all this mess. I'm not sure he wants to deal with that. And that's exactly what God wants to deal with, with his grace and his truth and his love, is that he wants us to be able to divest of ourselves to him because he is safe, he cares for us, and he wants to transform us. And as we do, we start to belong to God and start to understand that him alone is the one that can meet our needs. As I interact relationally, it starts to form me from the inside out. Now, when you start praying, it's not going to feel like that. It's going to feel like you're trudging through a desert looking for some water. And yet the longer you go, just like in any relationship, the closer you get, the more formidable things take place. And all of a sudden, your heart starts to run after it. So, never stop praying. It is relational. It is formational. And I would argue this, it is an awareness of notifications and responding to such. Why? Is it because I have to do it all day long? Is it because I need to pray? Is it because it's the duty or it's the activity? No. Because just like all of us, we interact relationally throughout our day in so many ways. And the God of the universe wants to invite you into that. He wants you to go from just I have a morning time to it's all day, everyday time. To go from I don't know how I'm going to set that morning time aside to don't worry, I'm with you all day, every day. He wants to invite you into relationship, not just information wavelengths. Why? Because he loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to interact with you. And he wants to interact with your questions and your frustrations. And we'll get to that here in a moment. Psalm 34 is where we're going to jump in to see this actually play out. Okay? Because I think King David gives us maybe a picture of this idea of never stop praying or pray without ceasing inside of Psalm 34. And he does so in one of the most humbling moments of kind of his writing of Psalms. He has a few of them. But this is a humbling moment for King David because here's the context to what's happening. King David, he has been king for a little bit now. If you remember back in Samuel, if you've read in Samuel before, you've read the story of David and Goliath. David is an Israelite. Goliath is a Philistine, right? And, and my daughter loves this story, right? David knocks out Goliath with just a stone and it's a good old day and the Israelites win, right? Well, if you fast forward to where Psalm 34 is, David is on the run. And he ends up going to the Philistine country to seek what? Refuge and safety. You get my vibe there of why this could be a tense moment and a humbling moment for King David? He's going to his very enemies for refuge and safety. He's going to his very people that he destroyed, their big guy, the champion, for refuge and safety, he's trying to figure out where he can meet his deepest need. Well, in the process of that, he realizes this isn't so good, right? Very quickly, he's like, this is, I shouldn't be here. This is where I shouldn't be for refuge and safety. So that literally the subtitle before says, David acted crazy in front of the king so that he could get out of that situation and find safety somewhere else. That literally the king of Israel had to, and I'm not sure what acting crazy meant or looked like, but literally humbled himself by acting a fool so that he could get out of the situation. Maybe he was like, if I just act dumb enough, they won't want me to stay here, right? And he did that. And he's saying this psalm out of it. And I think, listen, this is really important to note. Eyes up here. Do you notice the first thing that David does after he's humbled in the situation he's in. He runs into the real refuge, his relationship with God. How often do I, when I'm humbled, or circumstances don't go my way, or, or I falter, or I sin, or there's shame or guilt, that I want to hide, and I want to cower, and I want to step back. And David, a man after God's own heart, I don't think it's because he was perfect that that title's given to him. I think it's because he continually ran into the heart of God no matter what the situation and circumstance was. And that's what he does inside of this passage. Psalm 34, out of this 
moment of humbling where he's acting crazy. He kind of ends up in this cave with these other guys, and it's a speech or a song speaking to this relationship he has with God. Psalm 34, verse 1 through 7. We're just going to look at it in chunks and go from there. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Here's what I'd have you write down. Part of this idea of never stop praying Inside of that is never stop thanking. Never stop thanking, right? That what if inside of these notifications, God is eliciting a response of thankfulness? It's like we see David kind of reach into. Have you ever had a moment where you kind of step back and you're like, that was a close one, right? Have you ever had a moment like that? I remember there was a moment like that, and I was too young to, like, step back and really understand what was happening, but we used to play across the street at a park, and it was one of the busier streets in the town that we lived in, and we were running across, you know, we, we didn't drive to the park. My dad was like, we're going to walk across the four-lane road, and you're going to figure out how to do life that way, and I was like, fine, we're going to do it that way, right? And so we'd walk across, and then we would wait for a break, and we'd run back. Well, in this circumstance, we were running back, and my sister dropped something, her hat or something. And I, being the big brother, risked my life to go back out as a car was coming at me, right? And so I went and grabbed it, and I pulled. My dad pulled me back, and I guarantee he was like, that was a close one, right? Have you just been in those moments where you're like, that was just too close? David was, right? He was grabbing the hat, or he was acting crazy, and he probably stepped back, and he was like, that was a really close one. And what was his response? His response with a thankfulness and a gratitude towards God. Like, whoa, okay. Thank you, God, for who you are, who you are to me and what you've done for all of us. David, I think, is thanking God for maybe two reasons here. And it's really important to note. I think first, he is thanking God because he recognizes he was trying to meet his need on his own. Think about that. David actually was responding to God, not just purely because God is great and amazing, but his deepest need and his lack of filling that the right ways led him to a thankfulness to God. Like sometimes my sin or my shame or my guilt will lead me into thanking the God of the universe as I recognize that I've tried to fill it my own way and that he is the only one that can fill it. And that I've been trying to fill it another way, and it leaves me in chaos. It leaves me in desperation. It leaves me in difficulty. And thanking God is just an overflow of what I've experienced. He's trying to find refuge in his enemies and his cry for help, ultimately, that he didn't bring to God. Now, listen, listen, listen. We're not David, right? We're not visiting Philistines and asking for refuge in a place. Maybe our enemies aren't chasing us literally. But have you ever been there? Just sit on that for a moment. Don't don't think, I'm not David. My life's pretty, this and that. Have you ever tried to find refuge in someone or something outside of the God of the universe? Have you ever sat there where you're trying to seek shelter, safety, maybe salvation in someone else or something else, a relationship, a workplace, my salary, my kids, my own spiritual goodness. Have you ever been there where your deepest need rises to the surface and there's no way out? You're trying and you're trying and you're trying, but you can't figure it out. Because in the desperate need for relationship, fulfillment, satisfaction, purpose, we can run to the wrong things, and that's what David did. But secondly, I think that he in this moment clearly recognizes that God is the only one who can meet that need, right? He recognizes in this moment God is the only one. He uses words like glorify and praise and exalt. All these words 
are not just words that we attribute informationally to God. What is David doing? He is relationally getting on his knees and saying, I am humbled, you are greater. It is a relational interaction. It's not just an informational, like God's the creator of the universe, we praise you, God. It's like, God, I cannot do this on my own, and I am literally going to use words that humble me even more and bring your greatness to the surface because you're the only one who could save me, who could rescue me, who could do for me what I could not do for myself. And in thankfulness, a never stopping of thankfulness, not only does that flow out of sometimes sinfulness that gets revealed in my life and and ultimately allows me to connect to Jesus in that, but purely just looking upon what Jesus has done for me, what God has done for me through Jesus, it leads me to recognize and raise up thankfulness to him. I love the words that he continues to use. He delivers me, saves me, covers our shame. Listen, what is, what is David doing here? He's pointing us to Jesus. The fullness of this passage is in the work and life and truth and grace of Jesus. That you and I freely in its fullest, can say that and trust that. Why? Because Jesus has lived the life that you and I could not live, died the death that we deserved, and rose again so that we could have life. To do what? Save us, deliver us, cover our shame, and to answer the sin that you and I struggle with every day. Listen, when we walk throughout our day-to-day, there are times where notifications get brought to the surface. There's times where life happens and I'm running towards things that will never bring me salvation, safety, refuge. There's times where I'm just drawn to see the wonder and the beauty and the glory of God through what he's done for me in the largest possible way through the good news of Jesus and in simple cherry-on-top ways also. And that sort of notification leads me to never stop thinking Her thought about just waking up is a reminder that his grace and mercy exist inside of our life. Thank you, God. Thought about the family, the relationships around you allows you to respond in a thankfulness. You ever just stop and think, I don't know, I just do this sometimes. When I'm really stressed out, I'll do this because everything's just going really fast. And I'll stop and be like, but really what matters is the reality that Jesus has done it for me. I could not do it for me. You just stop in your tracks and you're like, why, why, am I, why am I frustrated about this? Why am I stressed out? And it's usually because I feel like I have to accomplish something and I forget that he's accomplished it all for me. And I get to sit under his grace inside of that. Never stop thinking. So the question I ask is this, am I aware of the goodness and the good news of God in the everyday? Am I aware of the goodness and the good news of God in the everyday? And really, oftentimes that starts a prayer of thankfulness. Often will start in a confession of neediness. I just need you, Father. And you have done this over. You've saved me. You've delivered me. You've covered me. He continues, though. Never stop thinking is one. Psalm 34, 8 through 14. This is where David continues. Taste. And see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Here's what I have you write down. We never stop thanking, but we also never stop trusting as we never stop praying. That every day we're presented with opportunities to go to him in trust. I think the question that David would present to us is where is our place of refuge? Refuge is literally, it means safety or a place of safety, a place of rest, a place of salvation. What is your place of refuge? Where do you find rest? Where do you find safety? Where do you find protection for your life? Like I said already, right, oftentimes we can wrestle with that. 
David looked for refuge outside of the relationship with God. And oftentimes we can struggle with that. Well, if I do more work, well, if I have more money, if I have better relationships, if I do this or if I do that. And what I love about where David goes is he clearly says our refuge is found in Jesus. Our refuge is Jesus. And as we find refuge in Jesus, trust and reverence towards Jesus develops. And I love that. He uses two kind of words here underneath of that refuge statement. He trust, right? And he uses that in a lot of different ways. And then the fear of the Lord, which literally is not like I'm a scared of God, but it is a reverence or respect for God. And those two things hold hands. As I trust, I'll respect and revere. As I trust, I'll lean into. As I taste and see, as I find refuge in, I will respect what he is about, who he is, and where he's leaning me into. And David invites the men in the cave to lean into God as their refuge, trust, fear, reverence, taste and see that the Lord is good. And out of that obedience flows that as I sit inside of my relationship with God and trusting him and fearing him, it will lean me into where I need to be with him where I need to be him to others, how I need to live with him inside of that. The time you spend with Jesus will not only be good for your spiritual life, but it will motivate you to live a Jesus-filled life towards others. And as you return to the place of refuge, it continues to fill you up so that you can go out and live as such. My relationship with God will dictate my formation from God. And those things go hand in hand. And the reality is this. As I trust and I listen to God, the more that I'll live that out. And I love how this passage goes. He starts by taste and see that the Lord is good. That that is a trust statement. That is a run into kind of statement. See that God is good, and as you trust and see that the Lord is good, and that you can find refuge in him, and that fearing him leads you into loving life, desiring to see many good days, keeping your tongue from evil, lips from telling lies, turning from evil and doing good, and seeking peace and pursuing it. That my trust towards him will build into my obedience towards him, which will circle me back to trust. The reality is this, as I walk throughout my day and I never stop praying, am I aware of God's rest and protection and salvation in my every day? Am I allowing him to be my refuge? Am I trusting him for that? Not just thanking him for what he's done for me, yes. But do I trust him when things get tossy-turvy? Because the reality is this, as I lean into him as my refuge, not only am I safe and secure as things get topsy-turvy, but I also will know what to do out of that. Trust builds into understanding how to live in the circumstances that you and I face. And trusting him maybe is one of the biggest things that you and I can do on a daily basis. Because my natural formation and heart is to run the other way. It is to lean into other things. Every day I can continually be reminded that I can trust him. He is good. He is safety. He is rest. And as I trust him more, I'll live out of that more. So am I aware of God's rest, protection, salvation in my everyday? Psalm 34, 15 through 18, thanking, trusting. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, David says, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Here's what I would say. Never stop asking. Never stop thanking. Never stop trusting. Never stop asking. I'll get to what I mean by that here in a minute. Because the reality is this. In my relationship with my kids, at this point in the ballgame, they never stop asking me for things. Some of you are in that, right? 
so daddy, can I have this? And daddy, can I have that? And daddy, can this? And daddy, that, right? They're at that age where literally a lot of things either you need permission for or you need help with or just life needs to exist and such, right? So never stop asking. And as a parent, right, sometimes that can get like agonizing and frustrating. But here's the reality. I love it at the same time. I love it at the same time. Because there's a relationship that is forming inside of that. And there's a relationship that's forming inside of that, that two things are happening simultaneously. First is this, sometimes I need to redirect where their heart and mind are at, right? Like, can I have this thing or such and such, this thing, and it's like not a healthy thing or it's not the thing that me and Jess want them to have, right? We can redirect and we can train and we can lead, right? But the other thing is this, I love when I can fulfill a need and their trust and uh, their relationship with me grows inside of that. But here's the reality. I know this happened for me. The older I got, the less I did this with my parents. Whether it was because I felt like I could supply my own needs or because I just didn't want to talk to my parents, right? Can I get teenagers in the room? You're just like, we're just not doing that, right? And the reality is this, we can do that to God often. Where this statement is actually shocking, because sometimes I think we can struggle with this spiritual growth, I outgrow the need to ask for God. Because I kind of, I got it figured out, or I have it all sorted out. And I would argue we do not do this enough, maybe. That we forget that God hears us in our brokenness, in our crushed spirit. He responds and he saves. And what is beautiful is this. The more that I cry out to God, the more that he reveals about my heart, the more that I lean into the salvation that he provides. That's what we do sometimes with our kids. Like, no, that is not the right spirit to ask that in. That is not the right thing to want. That is not the right journey to go on. And we're revealing and then pointing them into where hope is found inside of that. Never stop asking is not a sub point to get from God something that you want. I'm not telling you never stop asking because he might just get annoyed enough and be like, yep, you can have that, right? But rather, what if never stop asking was a way that we engaged our heart with God, That as we asked, he revealed and he answered in ways that sometimes we expected, most of the times in ways that we did not expect. Here's the reality. As I go throughout my day, I know this for me. I run into a lot of different situations. Whether it's people situations, personal situations, internal situations. And in those moments, sometimes I feel like my spirit is crushed or I'm broken or I'm in pain or I don't know what to do with it or my mind starts spinning, which is kind of connected to your heart being crushed, right? Your mind is spinning. You're like, what do I do? And oftentimes I try to figure it out. I try to plan it before I pray it. And as I pray it, don't get caught up with the, 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 um, the wording there, but as I pray it, Right? What happens is not just some plan comes to be, my heart gets revealed, I lean into the salvation that only comes from God, and he gives me wisdom to navigate it out of there. Because oftentimes what needs to be revealed is not how do I fix the situation, but where's my heart at in this situation? And as that gets revealed, then maybe a solution figures its way through. And the reality is this, I need to never stop asking for my own salvation to work itself out in my life. I quit too soon. I'm like I said yes to Jesus however long ago, and that's what I need to do. Every single day, saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, ultimately putting him, thanking him and trusting him, and then asking and allowing that to reveal inside of me where I still need work on my heart, which there's plenty of places for all of us. It doesn't end in a one-time moment. And as I do that, I am not struck down with some judgment, but I am saved by the grace of God who has done it on the cross for you and I. But also, I need to never stop asking for others. You never stop asking for others. And what I mean, yes, salvation, of course, we are always praying for others. 
Yeah, that guy that cut you off in the highway, yeah, pray for them. You never stop asking for salvation for them, right? Your thought about that, instead of being like, beep, 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 you're like, I'm going to pray for them, which I know none of you do, right? Have you ever thought about praying for them? Never stop asking, Lord, I don't know where they're at right now. Have you ever thought about the people you sit next to at work? Just never stop asking. Some of us, we have very involved jobs, and you have breaks. Some of you, you have jobs where you can kind of mentally break at different points and never stop asking. Even if there's someone struggling with something, prayer request, never stop asking. Why? It'll reveal something in you. You could ask for the sake of God to reveal something in them. Why? Not so that they feel the pain of it, but so that they run into the grace of God in the midst of it. That as we never stop thinking, as we never stop trusting, as we never stop asking, we ultimately inside of that start to get formed. We start to get formed on how to interact with God and how to interact with others. The question I would end this with is, am I aware of God's revealing and returning in every day? Am I aware of God revealing ways that I can ask, revealing things inside my heart around that and returning his grace in place of that. Listen, these ideas of notifications, they're not a to-do list. They're not an information channel. They're a relational channel. What if every day God brought to the surface moments that made us aware of either thanking him, trusting him, or asking him? And what if praying without ceasing or never stop praying wasn't this, I'm going to close myself in a room and try to do that for five hours. But what if it is as you go throughout your day, as you interact with that person, as you pass someone on the sidewalk, as you interact with your best friends, as you go to work, as you struggle with, does my success define me and trusting God that it doesn't? As you go into your house thanking God for what he's provided you, as you wrestle with really hard decisions throughout your day, remembering that at the foundation of all, God has done the work through Jesus, and he invites us into that, not out of guilt, but out of grace. There's a famous passage, Psalm 46.10. And I'm using a different version very specifically. I'm going to have the worship team come up, because we're going to end in a song and some reflection. This is what the psalmist writes in Psalm 46. Oftentimes you hear it said, Be still. Our translation says, stop fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. I think there's a larger context to this, but I wonder personally if we were just to take it there for a second. How often do I fight internally and sometimes externally? How often am I fighting inside of myself to figure out who I am, what I'm supposed to do, where my refuge is, what success looks like, where approval comes from, where acceptance is at, how do I get rid of this guilt and shame, and I am fighting all the time. What the psalmist says is stop fighting and know that I am God. I believe when Paul says never stop praying, he is looking at us and saying, be still. The most important step you can take inside of never stop praying is being still and allowing God to direct you towards thanking, trusting, or asking. And inside of that, what comes out is know that I am God and you're not. What comes out of that is glory to God, not glory to self. What comes out of that is the good news of Jesus, not the good news of Joel. And through that, it forms me and it bonds me to relationship that I can walk through any circumstance, any situation in the midst of. So today, we're going to challenge you to two things, okay? In the back of your seats are these cards, the 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting cards. If this is your first time or you're new to Grace, don't feel any pressure to engage with this or if you feel uncomfortable... But we've been talking about this the last two weeks about what would it look like to place our heart on a platter, literally, with God to pray and fast for 21 days. And what we're doing is we want to encourage you to engage that. We're going to give you a minute here to fill that out. 
you don't have to turn that into anywhere or anyone. It's yours to keep to keep track of the 21 days. But we're asking you to consider to pray and fast for 21 days. Why? To develop a craving for God and compassion for others. That's why on the sheet it says fasting from one thing. That can be a meal. That can be a type of food. That can be technology. And pray for one person. If you need more explanation, there's a QR code that takes you to a video that we made to help explain why and what it looks like. That is my first challenge. And as we go, we want you to follow on social media because we're going to go 21 days with you through the avenue of social media. We'll have videos, we'll have pictures, we'll have reminders, we'll have ways that you can engage beyond just the day-to-day, okay? Secondly is this to kind of use the idea of our notifications, here's a stretch challenge for some of you. For some of you, the stretch challenge is to have a daily prayer rhythm. I do this. I have built into my calendar notifications using kind of some old early church rhythms of having a morning prayer, a midday prayer, an afternoon prayer, and an evening prayer. You can do a midnight prayer if you want, but I ain't doing that, okay? A morning prayer, midday prayer, an afternoon prayer, evening prayer. And what I do next to each of those is I have a reminder that sets a a kind of uh, tone or vibration on my phone, makes me see what I'm doing next or where I'm praying in that moment and what I'm praying for. If you want to be stretched and literally add notifications of prayer to the notifications you get, this is a very tangible way to do it. Set it for five minutes and just stop where you're at and pray. Just set it maybe for a minute, maybe for five seconds. You can just think about and ask God to calm you, to direct your heart, where it may be. Right now, though, we just want to give you a minute to consider what it would look like to fast and pray over the next 21 days. The team's going to lead us in a song here in just a minute. But I would encourage you to just be still, be silent, pray, and allow God to invite you into this journey with us.